Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name's Eric. If you haven't met me, we'd love uh, to connect with you and help you get to uh, know our church better out in the courtyard. There's a welcome area. We'd love to just give you a gift and help connect in any way we can. Um, we're picking back up in our discipleship series. Uh, and so if you haven't been with us, just kind of a quick recap of what we're trying to do is that, you know, we've noticed at church, we just love the participation we get on Sunday. And we've seen growth in uh, life groups, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, um, fantastic. And so we just want to add another layer of this kind of what we see in the scripture of one-to-one uh, people going deeper in their faith and helping each other be disciples or learners of what God's word says. And so at the end of this, um, we'll have a class available to kind of help you. Or if you're like, man, I want to get discipled, there's a card uh, in, in your pew. You can fill that out and say, I want to get discipled. Um, I want to be trained how to disciple, or I think I can disciple. And what we'll do is collect that pool, and then hopefully what you'll see is we'll always have people being discipled, that we'll have um, that next layer in our church growth and and ability to help each other uh, move. Last part is if you see this bookmark, uh, this is for your help. We're going to walk through John 15 about bearing fruit. Um, And so I'm going to go over this generally not exposit each one, but if you want to hear a more in-depth analysis of each one um, during we, the, the quarantine, didn't that seem like 10 years ago? It seems so long ago. Uh, we did a sermon series called The Quarantine Life, and you can get more, but this is just a simple way to remind it. And so as we get into, you know, John 15, bearing fruit, um, the, the church, the what we'll call it like the, the big C church at large, we have this fascination with um, doing things fast, right? And so it's the idea that somehow producing fruit can be really fast. And then there's this mountaintop experience and everything's going to change. When I was in college, I met a guy I went to church with and he'd come back from Peru and he was uh, kind of out in the desert, like where people lived like in huts and didn't have running water and then like outside Lima. And he came back just convicted about his life. And he said, you know, I'm going to sell everything and I'm just going to follow Jesus. Just like the scripture, these people had nothing. I'm going to have nothing. And uh, so he did. He sold it all. And the guy I worked for, Doug, at the church, he said, hey, how's that working for you? And he's like, not great. And he's like, yeah, tell me about it. He's like, well, I, I probably shouldn't have sold my sheets. And he's like, I don't have anything to sleep on. He goes, yeah, I thought it sounded crazy. He goes, well, let me ask you a, a deeper question. Has it changed you? He's like, no. And he's like, well, think about it, right? Because here's the thing. When you go, to, you go on a mission trip, you go to camp, you get really excited. And you're like, oh, everything's going to change. Well, then you come back to America and people still don't like you. People still annoy you. And you have all your distractions, right? And so when you think of bearing fruit, it's not an emotional reaction to a really powerful moment. Bearing fruit um, is over time. It is, takes process. I heard it in a sermon once said that, you know, uh, fruit is not grown on the top of a mountain, mountaintop experience. It's actually grown in the valley where there's more work and work and tendering and work. And so that being my prayer for you as we walk through John 15 is just to, to view bearing fruit as a process. And, and you sit through, you're like, man, I'm not there. I'm not there. That's okay. It's supposed to take time. That's how we know it's real. And so what we want to do is process through that as a disciple Okay, we, we've talked about surrendering. We've talked about being transformed. And now we're going to really get into the maturing aspect of it. What does it mean to mature the way God calls us to? So I'm going to pray and we'll walk right through John 15. Dear Jesus, 
uh, we thank you for your word that it's clear, communicates to us what we need to do, how we need to be. And so we just pray your word would speak, that uh, we would have a deep desire to draw close to you, to abide, to dwell, to remain, to be in relationship with you. And uh, it's my prayer that uh, we would leave here with a deeper sense of how much work we need to pour into that relationship uh, for our good and for your glory. So we pray you would speak and I would. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, Amen. Okay, so here we go. John 15. So what's interesting, uh, right away you have this idea uh, of God, right? He's the Father. He's the vine dresser in one. Jesus is the vine. We're connected to the vine. And and out of that comes fruit. But a quick quick thing we'll walk through is if you look at verse 7, um, these kind of verses get misinterpreted a lot. So I'm just going to hammer it up front and, and then we'll walk through the rest. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Now, that gets abused in so many ways, but let's just look at the pragmatic, practical lens of this. If that was true, the world would look vastly different. True? There's lots of things you guys have asked for and it didn't happen. True? Yeah? Just me? Okay. So I've, I've had this happen and I'm forced to ask myself, well, what does that mean? Well, think through this. If you're connected to the vine, your source is Christ and God is the one pruning, making sure growth can come through the vine, through the help of the Spirit, you're going to pray things that come from the source. You're going to pray that's where you get your nutrients, that's where you get your life, that's where you get your breath. All things come from the vine. Well, if your sustainability, your life comes through Christ, your prayer will be in vain of abiding, of remaining from Christ. That's why earlier in John 14, it says, if you ask in my name, if you ask in a way that's consistent with who he is. And so as you see, prayer uh, really does take on a different life when we pray in concordance or in agreement with what God wants for us. Okay, so first thing to look through is you see this word abide. You might have a different Bible. It says remain or dwell, but it's we need to abide, 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 whoever abides. And it's simply this. It's just us spending time in what God says in his word. Jesus says he is the word of God. You know, we try to get around this. We try to shortcut it a lot. I think podcasts and books and articles, and those things are all great supplemental But the absolute source of our growth has to come from God himself through Christ and his word. There's no shortcutting that. And so if we were going to actually produce fruit, that's a, we can't even get there if we're not talking about how do we first remain. And I think what we'll see is the world are, you know, is designed that there's a lot of obstacles that get in our way of remaining, of abiding, of dwelling. And what did Jesus say? How can I be like him? Uh, R.C. Sproul says there's, there's three things that hinder our spiritual growth. And he walks through it. It's really good. He walks through the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit and say, man, is there anything in there that's hindering my ability to remain, to abide, to dwell with Jesus? Um, because there's probably lots of good things in your life that aren't necessarily bad, but, but you like them too much. And we need to take good things and not make them ultimate things and make Jesus the ultimate thing. And out of that dwelling, all things flow. So if you think about the world, what is the world there and how is it an obstacle? Well, the world's an obstacle because it tries to take God's place. The world says, you know, everyone, if we really break it down, we're looking for purpose, identity. uh, You know, why is there suffering? Why am I here? Do I matter? We ask all of these questions. 
And the world says, yeah, we have a place for you. We know what you need. We will help you find meaning, value, purpose. And if you look, they don't do a really good job, do they? Because the plan on how to be fulfilled is always changing from the world's perspective. Is that true? Yeah, just me? Okay, I see it all the time. And it's always, this will make you happy. No, no, this will make you happy. No, this will make you happy. No, this will make you happy. The kind of the current thing, what they're saying is, you know what, world? This, we figured it out. We have consistently made a box and told you, if you live in this box, you'll be happy. That's called a construct, right? These, these rules. This is what age looks like. This is what gender looks like. This is what normal looks like. And in the process of building a box and a construct, we have oppressed people. We have made them deny their, what they will call the authentic you. And it's hurting you. And it's, and it's demeaning you. So we need to do what's called AEA. We need to find the authentic self. We need to express that authenticity. And then it needs to be affirmed. Meaning, the reason you're not happy is because you're not being true to the authentic you. Example, someone's guy says, you know what? Now that I know this, I never wanted to be married. My parents made me do it. The authentic me is single, multiple partners, does whatever they want. That is who I really am meant to be. Breaks his marriage, that's the expression, divorce. And then the world's supposed to come around and affirm, oh, good job, as long as you're happy, whatever it takes. And then if you don't affirm, you become the enemy, become mean, a bigot, you become a bully, all these things, and you get rejected. So the world says, we'll give you meaning and value if you just find what is it that you're longing to make you happy? And then you express it and you fill yourself with people who affirm it. And that's a really scary way to live. If you don't believe me, think of it this way. How would you like to parent that way? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay, think about it. Your kid, the authentic them says, I am meant to be a race car driver. Give me your keys. I want to express that. Now you to be a good parent, not an oppressive parent, need to affirm and hand them the keys. Because in order for them to be happy, their authenticity needs to be affirmed in their expression. Does that sound smart to anybody? No, it's a terrible idea. But this is what the world does. This will make you happy. And you start playing this out. It's give people whatever they want. It turns parents into janitors. Whatever you need, buddy. You're running around with the mop. You're cleaning things up. You're running back over here. And the kids just doing whatever they want. It's like they're seven. Tell them what to do, please. And it's probably the same at 45. They're only 45, please, right? And it keeps going. It's like, no, no, no. There needs to be more than that. The world's like, hey, we got you. We're going to help you. You just need to unlock that. I think you, well, you look at the Bible as the source. You look at the Bible as it tells you the exact opposite, right? It says deny yourself. You, that your flesh, second point of this, is evil. Die to it. Pick up your cross. Follow Christ. Value him more than you value yourself. So then in the flesh, that becomes an obstacle because we begin saying, you know what, I need that. I should have that. That'll make me happy. I want to be in charge. No one should tell me what to do. And I mean, you don't even need the world to, to paint that picture for you. You go back to Adam and Eve. And what is it? Hey, I want that. I need that. I don't want to listen to him. I don't have to do what he says. He's holding out. We become the main justifier or the, or the smartest person in the room. And so in our flesh, that can be an obstacle. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to pray. I'm good. Until we have a blowout and the world falls apart. The world didn't work. Flesh didn't work. Then we go back to God as a backup plan. 
Third part of this is the devil. From the beginning, what does he do? He twists, lies, convicts. How does he twist and lie? God doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care about you. Why would you abide with him? You still have cancer. Your spouse still hates you. Your children still don't love you. Why would you abide with him? No, 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 go over here. This, this will work. Or you're terrible. He'll never love you. He can't love you. You know how ugly and dirty you are? That's what he does in Zechariah, right? He accuses and he slanders. And so if we're buying into the world, our flesh, or Satan, we will not remain or abide in Christ. And here's the problem is we don't understand, you know, abiding in Christ has the idea of suffering attached to it. And what's wrong with American Christianity is we want to think that because we're suffering, we need to run to the world to soothe it. We need to go to the flesh and get revenge or something. We're going to go to Satan and believe something else will satisfy that hole. But abiding absolutely includes suffering. I mean, look at this. Look at verse 9. It says, as the Father has loved me. So does the Father love Jesus? Did Jesus suffer? Okay, now look at the next part. So have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so part of abiding is realizing that in suffering, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. The world's not going to do a better job of loving you because it's going to try to avoid suffering. Satan's not going to help you by tricking you to numb it with something else. And your flesh is not going to help you by thinking you can control it yourself. And so we have to first understand, you know, suffering is a part of abiding. It's where fruit is born, and that work and that labor of trusting the Lord, uh, of remaining faithful to his word, remaining faithful to his people, remaining with him. And so if we get those obstacles kind of out of our idea and we realize we need to be shaped and formed by who we are being rooted and connected to the vine, now we can talk about remaining. Now think of this, how, where your source come from, comes from, that, that forms you. If you're getting formed by the world, you're buying into, I just need to be happy. And for me to be not happy means I'm not being authentic. You're going to chase that dream and it's going to butcher you and kill you and leave you absolutely purposeless, drowning with no hope. But if our identity is rooted in the source, Christ, I'm his child. He's my standard. He's who I need to be like. I do this intense work not to earn my salvation, but as a response. He died for me. He loved me. I need to stay connected to him. And he's saying there's two things that happen in that process. One, says, look up in verse 2, says that he prunes. He prunes to help make sure that there's growth. Think of Peter. Christ rebukes him. He denies Christ. He tells him again. He's constantly, right, pruning him. And then he grows. And then we get the Peter of Acts 2. Judas, cut off, thrown in the fire. It's saying fruit is absolutely necessary to being a Christian. And it doesn't happen unless we're abiding. And the end part of this, look at 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Saying, if you abide in this way, you will have joy. The flesh will rob you. The world will hate you. And Satan will trick you. But if you remain in me, your joy will be full. 
And so this is Jesus really getting to the heart of this is why you're here. This is your purpose, to be connected, to abide, to remain. If you do that, you will bear fruit and you will have joy in that fruit. Think of it, you know, we're in Bakersfield. Hopefully you can attest to that imagery. Farmers get really excited when the almonds fall from the tree, don't they? Right? There's two almond people here. Okay, maybe a different fruit that I didn't mention, avocado. I don't know. Pick your fruit, right? It's exciting because all that work, all that labor, it produced it. The thing about it is you don't plant a seed, walk away, and come back the next day, and boom, you have a fruit tree, right? If it did work like that, we'd all be rich, or none of us would be rich because we could all do it ourselves. But you see, we know that doesn't work that way. And so when we think of producing fruit, we have to get it in our mind Primary source, Christ. Long period of time. Consistency over and over and over again. So if that, now point two, we produce fruit. And that fruit happens in the valley. It happens with lots and lots of work. You can't just read a book and wake up and be patient. You can't go to Hume Lake and come back kind. If you haven't been kind or patient for 30 years, you're not going to be kind and patient tomorrow because you went on a mission trip, read a book, listened to a podcast. Is that fair? You have to just think through it that way. And why, why am I saying that? Because people get discouraged. They want to be patient right now. And it's like you just defeated the whole purpose of patience, right? Like, you see that? You have to wait this out. The producing of fruit takes time. That's why these imperatives have a continuous action. It's an ongoing forever, remain, abide forever and always. Okay, so we're going to walk through some of, well, then what are the fruit of the Spirit? I'm not going to exposit each one. There's a list in Galatians 5. It's why you have a bookmark, help you remember. And we have a sermon series, but I just want us to think through, okay, so what does it look like to verse 10, keep the commandments? What does it look like if we are abiding? What does it look like how the Father's glorified, verse 8, when we bear much fruit? And it's a proof or evidence of the disciple. Verse 8. Okay, so let's kind of package this. It says, love, love never leaves. Okay, and I want you to catch this. You cannot exercise the fruit of the Spirit without first being attached to Christ. So what am I saying? Literally what the text is saying. That you can do nothing apart from Him. You look in, in verse 4. It says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it is, abides in the vine. So the word nothing and cannot, in verse 5, it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That includes love. You cannot do good things unless you are connected to the vine. Some of you are like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, look at your text. It says nothing. Isn't that what it says? Apart from me, you can do nothing. I was at junior high uh, ministry on, on Wednesday. And I had the privilege of, of um, teaching them and meeting them. And I know we think they're aliens, but they're really smart, right? Really smart. And they asked me fantastic questions. And one of the questions they asked me was from here. And one of the kids said, you know, how, how is it, can't bad people do good things? And so I was like, well, let's, let's rationalize this really quick. I said, is God good? Is God the definition of good? Are all things that are good God? Because God is good. Yeah. Okay. So then if God's not a part of it, it can't be good. Because if it was good, it'd be a part of God. He kind of looked at me blank. And I'm like, okay. Got to try a different approach here. So um, think of it this way. Uh, just because you do a good thing doesn't mean it was good. Because you could do the right thing for the wrong reason. Is that true? 
Absolutely. What's the New Testament very clear on? It is the motivation of the heart that determines right from wrong. That's when Jesus says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He said, but I tell you, murder comes from anger or hatred in the heart. In the heart is where sin resides. It's in the heart that motivates. And if we're not having our heart flow from the vine, from Christ, it is not good. We cannot do good apart from the motivating factor, the motivating nutrients of Christ has loved me, and therefore I will respond by loving people in the same way. Okay, think through this. When we love people and say, if you love me, then I will love you, that is a conditional love. That is not a biblical love. The biblical love is no matter what you have done, I will love you. All right, and think through this. Verse 9. As the Father loved me unconditionally, so I have loved you unconditional. Abide in that unconditional love. Remain in it. Flow out of it. See, bearing, part of bearing fruit in this way is that no matter what you do, I will love you. Now, how is that possible? Because I don't need you to validate my insecurities. I don't need you to make me feel smart, funny, cool. I don't need you to make myself feel whole. I have source, I have life from the vine. All I need, I have in Christ. Therefore, I can be rejected by you, forgotten by you. I cannot have reciprocation of affection. We literally cannot do these things unless it flows from the source in Christ himself. That's what he's getting at. Okay? Two, joy never runs. Happiness is fleeting. And happiness is what the world teaches. This will make you happy. This will make you happy. Think about it. This, this is so easily explained in food. You're happy, like you're chewing that for like a good two minutes. It's like heaven. And then it's gone and you feel guilty and you wish you didn't do it. And then four hours later, you repeat the whole process again, right? And it's fleeting and it's running and it's, and it's so powerful and it tastes so good. And then you feel so bad and you keep repeating that cycle. Joy's constant. Look at it this way. Was Paul happy in prison that he got beaten and flogged? No. But did he have joy? Yes. How do we know? Because he's singing in prison. Why is he singing in prison? Because he's connected to the vine, Jesus. So you can beat me and take my freedom, but you can't take me from the vine. I will always be loved. I will always be cared for. And heaven is my home. And if I stay here, I'm just going to force you to wonder why I have so much joy and you don't. Because I have the vine. Joy never runs. It's constant. Three, peace never envies. Again, if you're connected to the vine, you have made peace with God. That then allows you to be at peace with man. If you are not at peace with God, we become at war with man. How do we know this? Because if we're not at peace with God, we still have the problem of, do I feel like I have purpose, meaning? What's the meaning of suffering? Who, who cares about me? Why do they care about me? So then we create our own system in the world. And we say, well, if I have these things, then I matter. And if I have uh, these people in my life, then I matter. And if I'm, I have these abilities, then I matter. And, and then when we don't have them, we use people to get them. It's called envy. I want that. I need that. I have to have that because it makes me whole. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel important. It hides the fact that I feel ugly or I feel overweight or I feel like I'm not smart or I feel like I, have, I don't have a lot of money. Whatever that is, I'm going to mask it by go getting that. I don't care who I have to hurt. If you're at peace with God, connected to the vine, 
It allows you to say, okay, I don't have that, and that's okay. That person runs faster than me, is taller than me, is smarter than me, has more money than me. I don't envy that because all I need, I have in Christ because he is the source of everything. He's the source of how I breathe, the nutrients, right? The water, all the things I need, I have. Patience never quits, right? It doesn't give up easy. Patience, I say, uh, is often accompanied by holy stubbornness, right? The ability to wait on the Lord. The ability to say, God is patient with me. I can be patient with you. Again, if we're not connected to the vine, then I need it right now because it's my timing. It's the flesh. If it doesn't happen right now, then I'm going to fall apart. If I fall apart, I'm not happy. If I'm not happy, then I'm not authentic. If I'm not authentic, I don't exist. It just flows. That's how we get war with each other. So to have patience says, I can wait. I can wait. Man, the church has lost its way in patience, hasn't it? Christians through this whole pandemic, we've quit and given up so easily, haven't we? From churches quitting to people quitting, they just give up. Say, no, 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 do what the Lord calls us to do. Be patient, trust him. He's working this out. He understands it. Kindness is never selfish. Again, if you're not connected to the vine, it's hard to be kind to someone. Why? Because you need them and you need to use them to get where you need to go because they have something you want. They have something you think they shouldn't have because you're better than them. It's hard to be kind to people when you're really insecure. But when your security is in Christ, you can be kind to anyone because you're not looking for the reciprocation. You're not looking for them to be kind back. You simply are kind. Why? Because Christ is kind to us. Goodness never settles. Goodness is the it's kind of the moral piece in the fruit. It's the part that, that, that there is a good, it's honest, tells the truth, doesn't do its evil, doesn't do its bad. And so if we're connected to the vine, we're never looking at the world as our standard of good. I think Christians, too often we look around and we go, well, I'm better than that guy, not as good as that guy. I'm like in the dead middle. I'm awesome, right? I'm getting chased by a bear. I'm not getting eaten. And I'm also not going to be the first one to win the prize. And it's like, no, 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 if goodness comes from God, right? He's the standard. It's never good enough. We want to be fully like Christ. That's the journey. We're fully connected. We want to fully remain, be fully formed by Christ so that we tell the truth. We have a moral compass according to God's word that Jesus is our standard. And there is an honesty about us. I mean, look at the way Jesus handles people. He tells them the truth. You're a sinner. You need to change. He doesn't say, hey, whatever makes you happy, buddy, express yourself and I'll affirm you. He doesn't say that. Do you know a verse like that? I don't. It's very straightforward. Change. Be like me. Deny yourself. Follow Jesus. But he does it in a kind, gentle, loving, compassionate demeanor, tone, and delivery. Faithfulness is never conditional. I mean, that one's plaguing us. It's, I'll... I'll be faithful if you're faithful. If the church hurts me, I'm out. If my spouse hurts me, I'm out. If my kids hurt me, I'll stop trying. Or I'll try to buy them, one or the other. Faithfulness, it's never conditional. Jesus is faithful to pay for our sins through all the agony, through all the pain, through all the suffering. He is faithful. 
He does not give up. Again, we can't have that same faithfulness if we're not connected to the vine. If it's not flowing out of Christ through us to others. Gentleness always listens. This is important. You ever, you ever try to talk to someone and they just refuse to listen to you? None of you? I'll tell you, it's not fun, okay? Just take my word for it. You guys haven't experienced it yet. It's not fun because you're like, why are we talking? Why are we doing this? And it's very harsh. And I think through this pandemic, you've seen a lot of people not willing to listen. See, gentleness says, I can be wrong. I'm open to reason. I care about what you think, even if it's really bad. I care about you, right? And I will listen. Jesus does this. He listens over and over and over again. They ask him all kinds of crazy questions. Does he give them all the answers? No. Does he do what they want? No. But he listens. He absolutely, he listens. And then he tells them the truth and his goodness. And he does it and his kindness. And he does it over and over and over and over again, his faithfulness. Same thing, same way. Very gentle. Allowing someone to speak, hearing them. We don't understand that unless, again, connected to the vine. We've been praying and praying and praying, and God is gentle with us and gentle with us. Because if he wasn't, we'd all be dead. True? He's very gentle with us. This flows from that remaining and abiding. Last one, self-control never loses. So you think of self-control like we need to, we have to live in this world. And self-control is the are the boundaries we put within the world to say, you know, I need to be around these people and share Christ with them. I work with them. I go to school with them. But I'm not going to cross these lines. I have self-control. Jesus fully submits himself to the Father while on earth. That took self-control. Fully submits, goes through the agony of the crucifixion. Self-control. Out of love for the Father, out of love for us, so you start working your way through that and it's going, these are the evidences we need to be disciples. Because that's what the text tells us to do in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. In verse 8, it's how we prove we're a disciple. So it's very important that we're staying or remaining in Christ. That's prayer, right? That's reading our Bible. The next part of this is that we're helping each other do this. One of the primary ways we exercise gentleness, patience, kindness, love, is that we're being aggravated by other people. If you liked everybody and everyone thought the way you did, you wouldn't need to have peace. You wouldn't need to have kindness because you would agree with everything they said. Is that fair? Okay. So this idea of avoiding conflict isn't scriptural. Scripture says you're going to be, boom, right in this conflict. And you're going to handle it through abiding in the vine, acting like Jesus, telling the truth, being kind, being patient, showing them what unconditional love, faithfulness, kindness, self-control, all these things look like. That's what we need. So part of this is going to be taking, you know, taking an inventory. You know, look at 1 through 10. And mark it, you know, how close am I on this? How, where do I land on these? And here's the thing, have someone else look at it. Because if five people don't think you have patience, you're in trouble. You probably don't have patience, right? There is a self-awareness sometimes we lack. Um, but this is good for us to kind of realize, okay, I need to work on these things. But here's, here's the part I'm, 
I'm more excited about in helping others is that so many times I think we want to quit in Christianity. Like you don't understand how hard it is to be patient with my kids or my spouse, to be kind to my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, right? My boss. To sit down with someone one-on-one and say, here's how I've done it. That's a powerful imagery, isn't it? To say, here's my struggle, but here it is. Because I think what I've seen is so many people want to quit right now. So many people want to quit. They want to quit their job. They want to quit their marriage. They want to quit parenting. They want to quit living in California. They want to quit going to church. All of these things, they want to quit. And what if you could ask somebody this question? Why'd you stay? Why'd you stay in your marriage? Why do you keep going to church? Why do you still read your Bible? And they could say, here's how I abided. Here's how I remained. Here's how the fruit was produced over 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Think that'd be helpful? Okay, the three of us are going to help each other. You guys are on your own. Good luck. Absolutely. Why is biblical? Bearing one another's burdens. I mean, read through Galatians. People need to hear stories of victory. That they're not crazy that they want to strangle their kids and leave their marriage and quit their job and go live on an island. It happens. It's how you respond after that. Faithfulness, gentleness, goodness. And that only comes when you're connected to the vine, that we can act as Christ's act. Now, if you look at this, this picture, full circle, is part of God's design from the very beginning. Look at Isaiah 27.6. It says, In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall, shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Israel was to be a light and to show them the evidences, attitudes, characteristics of, of these fruit so they could go, this is who I'm connected to. God is our Father. This is where Israel fails. This is why in the vine imagery they're cut off. Now, Romans 9.10 says they'll be grafted back in, but the church carries that same mission to bear fruit in all the world. What? So that non-Christians can see the kindness, patience, gentleness, self-control and go, why are you like that? Because I am connected to the vine. I'm connected to Christ. Christ is my source of growth, being, purpose. Even in suffering, I trust him. Even in tragedy, I love him. And they see that fruit. They see Christians loving each other in that way. John 13, 35 picks up on this imagery as well. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. It's saying the way we treat each other is a direct witness to an unbelieving world. Searching for hope, searching for purpose, searching for identity, searching for value, constantly losing that they would see Christians living these out, going, I need to have that in my life. I don't know what joy is like. I just keep chasing and chasing and chasing, and I keep coming up empty and empty and empty. It fills me, and then I'm empty. It fills me, and then I'm empty. It's what a dying world needs, doesn't it? It needs to see the fruit of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, the transformation, the surrender, the unity. It's why we've been building the sermon series. So just to start thinking through, I mean, how can I 
take these things serious. Let's ask some questions for ourselves. What gets in the way of you abiding with Jesus? Now, again, we don't want to demonize your hobbies and demonize the things you care about, but maybe those good things, they're ultimate things, and they need to get bumped back down to good things so that Christ can be the ultimate thing, that you're spending more time and more time with him because out of that time with him, you're seeing, you know, how was Jesus patient? Well, read through the gospel, see. How did Paul have joy? Read through the book of Acts. Read through, read through these things. Make time for it. Because wherever you abide, that's where you will be formed. And we do not want to be formed by the world. We want to be formed by Christ. Amen? Yes? Okay. Two. Which fruit of the Spirit is the hardest for you? And how can you work on it? Think of it this way. Always have one you're working on. You know, I used to think I was a pretty patient person until I had kids. Then I had to hit the reset button on that one and learn a whole different kind of patience, right? You know, you used to be kind and then you got a new boss and you don't want to be so kind anymore, right? Like whatever that is, there's something, it's always changing. New circumstance comes and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not very loving. Oh wow, I'm not very joyful. I don't, you know, if people don't know you're joyful, you probably need to work on it, right? You're like, oh yeah, I'm really joyful. They're like, you? I've never seen you smile a day in your life. Okay, so maybe you don't struggle having it, but you're definitely having trouble expressing it, right? There's something in there to think through. Uh, three, who can you help mature in Christ and how? See, this is that part of people need to know there's victory. People need to know that you can be patient. You can be kind. You can be at peace. But how they got there, someone cheering them on. And I get it. If you're, if you're, you know, you have younger kids, maybe the only people you can do that with is your kids. But you still have to do it with your kids. Have that conversation. This is what it looks like to abide in Christ. This is what spiritual fruit looks like. You know, the fact that I have self-control is evidence that you're still breathing, right? That's godly right there, right? Keep working. Uh, number four, how can you remain in Christ? Again, we love, you know, I understand books and podcasts and YouTube, They're, they can be really helpful. But Christ does not call himself any of those things, but he calls himself the word in John 1. How can you go to him in prayer, remain, abide, remember what he did, remember how he handled things, Old Testament, New Testament. How did he do this? How can I make more time for him? Five, what does spiritual pruning look like in your life? So what are the things that kind of maybe hinder you from having patience or being faithful or being gentle. There might be certain people in your life, whenever you're around them, you lose self-control. You lose your moral compass. You're not good. Or they just aggravate you so much and it makes you so angry. You need to prune. You need to cut those things out so that the fruit in your life have the ability to grow and not get choked out because you're in bad situations or have bad habits or bad friends or bad, you know, fill in the blank. How can you kind of start that pruning approach? Do an assessment with someone you trust and allow them to be honest. Just because they think you're a two at patience and you think you're a nine doesn't mean they hate you. It just means they've never seen it, right? And maybe, maybe you need to do that because it's so easy to be self-delusional. It really is. And no one's above it. That's why we're pushing this. Discipleship, get together, talk about these things, hammer these things out. It's part of our witness to the world. It's why it's written in the text. Six, how do other people help you grow spiritually? 
Here's the thing. If you don't see a need to grow, A, you won't go to the Bible, and B, you won't go to other people. So you have to see the church is designed to be interdependent, interconnected, right? And so when we look through that and think through that, do other, am I actively helping other people? Do I have people helping me? And it's very powerful when someone can identify with, you know, I've been depressed. I've almost walked out on my marriage. I've been an alcoholic. I've lived in a blended family. Let me tell you how patience looks in that realm, what peace looks like, how hard it is to abide, what it looks like when I take things into my own hand and I go outside of abiding and I abide in the world or I abide in myself or I believe the lies of the devil. Let me tell you and maybe save you from that pain. To bear fruit is very communal that we do this together so that the world may see it and see that our source is Christ and that there's nothing better than being connected to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's our prayer that John 15, 11 would be true, that our joy may be in you and that our joy may be full. That we could truly say that because we have Christ, we have everything we need that we would put to death envy and malice and rage and anger, insecurity. Rather, we would hold you up, crucified, adored, loved, connected to, dwelt with, dwelt among, all the scriptural descriptions. It's our prayer that we would remain in you. And part of that remaining is to worship you, to give you credit where you deserve for your love, for your merciness, for your grace, all these things you give, you are to be adored and worshiped. That is a part of our abiding. And it's our prayer we would come to you with grateful, thankful, and glad hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.